igniting, inspiring, and evoking the fire within. And it wouldn't be as beautiful as it has turned out to be. And so, and I, and I think also like when you go through something really difficult, you hope that it can change you and others and that it can have purpose or else it just feels too painful. And so I hope that as my book is shared, that will bring inspiration to whatever situation someone might be going through for hope and, um, and bring some joy despite seeing that there was a lot of pain. You're listening to the What's Your Inspiration podcast with Fox Byer. On this episode of the What's Your Inspiration podcast, we have Trisha Roos. Trisha is a Dallas wife and mother who built a winning career in sports and high school admissions, but found her greatest victory in loss. Against the advice of medical experts, she carried a full-term child she was warned would die at birth or before. That season, Trisha's team won every game. The child in her grew, and eventually she held and loved the daughter who wasn't supposed to live. In six days of a brief and remarkable life, Annabelle Roos rewrote the medical chapter on a chromosomal condition called trisomy 18, giving life to a story that galvanized a large high school, a big city, readers of One Wishes Change, and audiences nationally. Listen as she shares her story, one of how faith whooped fear's tail. This should be fun. Here we go. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the What's Your Inspiration podcast. Today's guest, uh, an inspiring story from a book I recently finished. She is a beloved wife, coach, five-time state champion, consultant, author, speaker, and mother to Cameron, Annabelle, and Andy, Trisha Ruse. Trisha, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you on. Uh, and we'll get into your story here uh, uh, shortly. Just to give everybody a little background, you know, we got connected through a, a podcast matching site. And I thought what you wrote to me was very authentic. And I thought, you know what? Let me uh, let me dig into this. And you've got a great book out that you're that you're uh, promoting diligently with a, a, a gripping story, a gripping, true, real life story called "When Wishes Change." So let's uh, let's dig into that a little bit. And it's Tricia. It's early 2014, and your three year old son Cameron and you're taking a car ride. Okay, what does he ask for, and why? Take us through the next year, if you would. Absolutely. So, yeah, life was good. Everything was like pretty stable. We had a little three-year-old boy named Cameron. And um, all of a sudden in the car on the way home from daycare, he said, Mommy, I want a lady baby. And he had trouble saying his R's. So instead of girl, he had substituted lady um, for quite a while. And so lady baby for him was like, I mean, I'm noticing that other kids around me are getting these little babies or siblings and I want one too. And, um, so it was very matter of fact to him. I think he just thought you would go pick one up at the store and, you know, time flies so fast. And I was working, I was coaching, my husband was working and I knew it was like in our mind to have another child, but we just hadn't really gotten there yet. And when Cameron started asking, we were like, you know, we want them to be close enough apart in age. And, and so within about three months I was pregnant and, um, you know, it was very normal with my first pregnancy. It was healthy. 
nothing went wrong. And so I just anticipated the same for the second and didn't really know any different. And when we went for just a blood test to find out gender, probably at week 12, um, our doctor called us about 10 days later and said it is a girl, but she also tested positive for trisomy 18. And a lot of people are familiar with Down syndrome, which is trisomy 21. And trisomy 18 is just a more severe version. Typically, it comes with more heart defects. And statistically online, you'll read that only about 10% of trisomy 18 babies will make it um, to full term and are born alive. And so from the very beginning, we were told our odds were really slim. And when I went to a specialist, you know, over my OB, just kind of somebody that knew more about the subject area. I mean, he actually recommended an abortion and we didn't feel like we could do that. We um, didn't feel like that was our decision to make. And as a coach and a believer, I'm like, I want to fight for this child. And no matter what it looks like, whether she's, she dies in utero or at birth or shortly after, or years after I was um, ready to face that and see what that looked like. And, you know, the timing of all of this was right before volleyball season started. And as the head volleyball coach of a really successful, large program, it's a very exciting time. If you've ever played a sport, like the beginning of the season is the most excited you could be because the possibilities at that point are endless. You don't have any wins or losses on your record. Yes. Um, and it's just exciting. And, I went into the volleyball season on the first day, letting these girls know that I may not make it through the whole season with my pregnancy. I told them what was going on with the baby. And I know that that was really heavy, but I also couldn't deny or hide what was going on because I'm not a very fake person. I can't um, fake emotions. And I knew that it would be a very vulnerable time for me. But what happened was these teenage girls were so selfless and determined to make it a great season for me and for each other that we actually ended up winning the state championship that season in honor of Annabelle. And so then a month and a half later, here I am full term where no one expected me to be. And um, in the delivery room, we were getting ready for the C-section because that was the safest way to get to potentially meet her alive. And, and I was warned she only had a two chamber heart. And so breathing with only two chambers is not really something that should happen easily. And they prepared me to expect her to only live minutes um, or an hour, you know, a very short period of time. Um, But that little girl lived for six days. She was resilient and we were resilient as parents to just give her everything we thought she needed to give her comfort during her life, because we knew that there was nothing we could do to change the situation. You can't build more chambers in a heart for a three pound child in this day and age yet. Um, And so we just loved her. And, um, and I think now that it's been seven years, I felt this really strong calling to write about it. And to me, this is way bigger than my story of my child and my volleyball team. It's more about, um, like the title says, when wishes change. I mean, I didn't wish for that to happen. I obviously wanted a healthy, normal pregnancy like I had experienced before, but 
but I had to allow my wishes to change from that healthy baby to just wishing for a moment with her or an hour with her or a day with her. And every day we just had to change our expectations and change our wishes. And I think from that experience, I learned that we all have to do that in our lives in many different circumstances, because if you're caught up on a dream not coming true, you're missing sight of the next opportunity. And so um, that's how the book came about and what the story is about. But like I said, I think that we wanted it to be just something bigger than that. It, cer- it certainly is um, um, bigger than that. And the way that you communicate in the book um, is so incredibly engaging. And to go back um, you know, to what, to what you said as well, it's just that it's about expectations, right? Um, they're, they're a big thing for me in the classroom as a teacher and, and on the field as a coach. Um, I guess my next question to you would be, Tricia, is how did your athletic career, okay, and you had an athletic career, you, you played in high school and played competitively, competitively in college, how did your athletic career help you through those months uh, uh, with, with, with Annabelle? I realized how much that was a factor in how I approached the situation as I was going through it. And one thing I thought about is as coaches and teachers, we talk a lot, right? I mean, our jobs are to instruct and to teach, but um, I felt like I had a rare opportunity to put my words into action. And so in my mind, I was always telling my athletes, don't give up. Like, even if the game isn't over or if you're losing, you fight till the end, whatever that looks like. And, you know, I love winning and I've had a lot of so had a lot of losing and you have to win and lose gracefully. And you have to put it out there and not have any regret after the game, because if you if you try your best, even if you lose, like I played great, my team did great. We did what we could and we just fell short today instead of having the regret that we could have done more. So when you relay that to this situation, you know, to me, an abortion or anything similar to that was like a cop out. It was like, I'm giving up too early. I'm not seeing this fight out and win or lose. So whether the diagnosis is wrong and she lives or some kind of miracle happens or she does die, I wanted to feel in the end that I had given it all that I could and have no regrets. And I think that when um, you're an athlete, you're a coach and in life, if you don't have regrets, if you know, in any situation, you did the best that you could with what you had. I think when you walk away from that and when the, the situation has passed or the circumstances are over, whatever the outcome is, you can have a lot more closure and understanding. And I never felt mad, I guess, about the situation and the hand I was dealt. It turned into gratitude for just getting to be her mom and getting to put up that fight for her. And of course, we had sad moments and we had bad days, just like everybody does. But um, I felt that we gave it our best every day as parents, my husband and I, um, to just try to provide the best that we could with the short life that she had. And to me, like her six days and what she proved to the medical community 
and then what the impact has had on my life to then help others and speak and to write about it has potentially more impact than a lot of people on this earth, even though she only lived for six days. Sure, sure. All about perspective and laying it on the, on the line, right, Coach? Yeah, I mean, exactly. To me, too, I, I know the times as an athlete and, and as a coach, you know, I didn't put my best foot forward. And, and those things, regrettably, are going to stay with me the rest of my life. Um, yep. and, you, and, and you saw an opportunity to parallel, you know, what was going on in your life at the time and, and with these girls. And it, um, it you know, it, it played played out very, very well on the uh, on the volleyball court. Um, I just want to um, point out my notes and I want to read maybe um, uh, just some information here. So Bishop Lynch High School Friars, the 2004, 2014 undefeated state champion state champions was there a moment during that season when you're uh, carrying annabelle and you turned to your assistant coach and you said man we've got a special group here i think from yeah so actually um every year i took my kids on a retreat and we went out to this um actually it's my hometown it's in the middle of nowhere in texas it's a really small town and you know, your cell phone barely works, which I love about it for teenagers. Yes. And I just make them, you know, put the devices away and we hang out by the lake and um, play volleyball and just hang out, you know, as a group. And there was a special time where, and we kind of did this every year where you just get in a big circle and everybody gets to just talk about themselves and who they are and how many pets you have and about your siblings and about your life, because there's always new girls on the team. Um, I had, you know, a few freshmen on the team that no one really knew very well. And so when it got to me, I, I knew they knew me, but they didn't really know all the emotions and everything that I had been experienced because this was so fresh and new, you know, I had been keeping this inside for two or three weeks. And I just remember when I was really honest and raw with them, just like the response that they had was so grateful that I shared and supportive and I just knew that you know at that moment at the lake we kind of just did this like giant big group hug and from then on you know we we immediately started our season there was just a different tone going into that season than any other season Mm -hmm. and it was like we have each other's backs and there was no drama there was no backstabbing there was no this girl plays more than me or I, you know, me, 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 they genuinely became selfless and played for a higher purpose. And, you know, jokingly, if games got too close, I'd be like, you're upsetting Annabelle right now. Like you've got to like say that. Oh, or or I would just be like, you know, my blood pressure is going up. You know what my doctor has said about that. And so we did a lot of like joking around with it and, you know, we had to keep the atmosphere light for how heavy the situation was. Um, But I just feel like when you are working together in a group for something bigger than yourself, it just makes the wheels move, you know, cohesively and makes everything work together better. And, um, and I, I have won other state championships and I've gotten to the ship many times and lost and won. But that group, just the way that it happened and their chemistry and the way that they backed each other up had a different tone than any of the other teams I had coached. 
And I'll, and I'll say this for you and, and you take it how you want. It, it began with you. I mean, it began with you and your transparency with the girls, because I, what I'm hearing is, is that they they trusted you. And you've heard this line a thousand times as a coach. Players don't care how much you know until they know how much that you care. And yep. you started that that right off in the beginning of the season. I'm thinking of other things too. Um, you know, as coaches, the the coaches playbook on Netflix. They sit down with about five coaches. First one is Doc Rivers, an NBA coach. They talk about five things that they kind of you know base their coaching and lives off of. And he learned it from his parents. Yeah, the parallels between you and him. Don't be a victim. You are not a victim of your circumstances. Turn it around, right? And and number two, finish the race. And boy, did the 2014 Friars finish the race. Coach, you used visualization, okay, uh, during that season. Uh, talk a little bit about what you did in terms of visualizing things and how that benefited the team on the court. So in uh, probably 2010 or 11, um, I had a girl that played for me and from one tournament to the next in the club season, she was an entirely different player and there was nothing significantly different we were doing in skill development. It was pretty much the same. And I remember asking her dad, what in the world have you done to her? I mean, something is clicked and she's figuring it out and she's playing so amazing and he told me about a book called The Mind Gym, M-I-N-D. Love that um, book. Love it. Oh, I've read it a thousand times. So I essentially bought the book immediately, started reading it. And because it has very short chapters and, you know, it's, e it's an easy read, I started um, reading that book every season with my team. And the book talks about that. The, the chapter actually, <laughs> the book is old enough to where it talks about a VCR and like rewinding the tape in your head of, you know, the best moments and the worst moments and working through that. And it, it was always funny because the more years went by, they're like, who's Nolan Ryan or, you know, all these He's a Texan other... too. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> so, you know, the references are a lot of golf, a lot of basketball, a lot of baseball. Um that's another book I'm working on is kind of youth sports and like a volleyball twist. But um, I just felt like um, reading some of the concepts in that book, particularly that one stuck with me. And you know how it can be with kids. They may do something on their own time, but it may not be exactly executed as you would like because they'll get distracted. And so, especially even though I was asking them to do visualization drills, you know, throughout the season, before we went into semis and finals at state, we did this as one big group and we just had the lights out and I would narrate the game. And then I would pick and choose different people in the room. Like, how does it feel in, in the gym? Is it cold? Like, what are you hearing around you? What do you see? And you pick up on the visuals, like what you're seeing around you and how your body feels. Like I'm warmed up, I'm ready to go, or I'm freezing, I'm scared. Um, and then you start talking them through it. And so ironically, every year that we were doing this, whatever situation it was, if I'm like, we're in the third set and it's tied 23-23 and Morgan, you're up to serve. Like, what are you thinking in your head? I mean, so many times the next day, it would be 23-23 in the third set and Morgan serving. And she's like, 
oh my gosh, what just happened? You made eye contact. Um, but, you know, Nolan Ryan in one of the chapters talks about how he visualized every batter the night before his game and imagined the pitch count and what um, pitch he was going to throw at them and put himself, in, put himself in those situations so that when he got there, he'd already practiced it in oh, his mind. So I'm, and, and when you talk about that being something I've been doing for years, and I'm about to give birth to a baby that I don't know will live one minute or 10 days or 10 years. I put myself through those same techniques to just think positively about the situation and imagine holding her or, you know, just like maintaining my breathing. If something really bad is going on to control my emotion, to make rational decisions when I needed to. And I can guarantee you, I know that that helped me as I was experiencing her birth and um, her days of her life, because there were so many decisions I had to make. And there's so much emotion involved that I had to be in a right headspace, just like an athlete would. Yeah, and a lot of that, that that you speak of, and I'll talk to the listeners, a lot of that you speak of, a lot of those decisions you write about and, and when wishes change. So I yeah. highly recommend the book, you know, going going back to what you said, Coach, did you script those scenarios, those visualization scenarios with your players, or did you simply walk into the room and, and, and sort of just go stream of consciousness? How did you, how did you uh, do that? No, I just like went with it. And, you know, especially by the end of the season, you know, your rotations and your lineup. And yes. then you also know, you know, who struggles under pressure and who may need to be called out like, hey, you know, you're serving. How do you feel? Or, mm-hmm. you know, you just hit a ball out of bounds. How do you rebound next to the next ball that gets set to you? And, you know, I was always trying in my head to go through the roster to make sure I call out everybody at some point. Mm-hmm. you know, um, whatever their role was to see like, Hey, it's a timeout, Hannah, like, how are you going to help in the huddle to encourage people, you know, say if she didn't play as much or something like that. So, um, it was usually not scripted and I kind of just went with the feel of the room, but by the end, they're like screaming and yelling and they're excited and their heart rates up. And it's like crazy what you can do with your mind as you're going through those visualization exercises, you really can feel like it's happening to you. Um, and it's great practice for, you know, the real situation. Sure. The, the mind controls the body and you're going through these scenarios without getting your girls tired for a game they're going to play the next day. I mean, yeah. uh, brilliant. Unbelievably brilliant. So we're going to get into a game now called What, Which, and Where. Um, a little bit of a lighter side of when wishes change. And, and let's see. I'm, I'm going to read a, a quote that I think to you is popular, and I want to see if you can tell us from where it came. So, Tricia, are you ready? Yes. All right. Here we go. Uh, I'm just going to go. Um, uh, we've got no food. We've got no jobs, and pets' heads are falling off. Dumb and Dumber. That's from Dumb and Dumber. Um, can Can you explain kind of um, uh, where your affinity or where where in your family those lines are kind of tossed back and forth? Because I'm, I'm thinking I know, but just explain. Yeah, so um, it's kind of funny. I've always with God had a really like sarcastic relationship. Um, as a child, my sister and I would watch like Ace Ventura, Pet Detective and like anything with Will Ferrell or 
I mean, pretty like stupid, lame movies, but I loved sarcasm. And to me, I think that um, one of my defaults, and this was why like my assistant coach was so perfect for me at the time is when it's really heavy, when there's pressure, when there's a tough situation I'm in, it is so therapeutic for me to go to sarcasm or laughter or just have fun so that it can take away from the heaviness of the moment. And so, you know, my assistant coach, Josh, him and I had been together coaching for a long time. And, you know, we knew how to play bad cop, good cop off of each other with the girls, but we could finish each other's sentences and movie quotes. And um, my father-in-law is the same way. Like, I'm, I make sure in my life I have those kinds of friends and people around me. Um, and I think it's funny now because um, I've been playing in this like tennis league and I didn't know how serious like women are about tennis, like adult women are. And I'm just like, guys, we're playing tennis on a Tuesday. Like, how can you be mad about this and take this so seriously? And so I was like, received at first because I just but I'm super competitive and I'm going to strive to be the best I mean I'm going to beat you if I can with everything I have but I have to have fun and I have to laugh at myself and I think we can all do that more because it was so heavy my pregnancy and the unknowns were so heavy the pressure of winning as a coach like I know you feel pressure when you're losing but after winning seasons, after winning seasons, you're expected to always win. And raise the bar. After, yeah, well, we win 2012, 13, then 14 and 15. There, that's a really hard task. And when you're constantly going after records and, you know, we were on a streak at one point um, with 65 or 66 district wins in a row, which spanned over five years worth of athletes. And I remember when we lost in five to like our foe across town, the, after the streak was broken, I learned that internally, even though they didn't verbalize it, there was so much pressure on them because the streak, everybody in town knew that nobody beat Bishop Lynch. And they were like, this is too much for us. It's too scary. You know, we don't need that. So, um, yeah, I, I got to keep it light. I got to keep it fun or else life just isn't as enjoyable. I've heard a lot of, I mean, a lot of athletes, a lot of coaches say that. And I believe this when uh, humor can be a great weapon. You just answered a, uh, a question I was about, about to ask you. How do you, how do you use humor? You just, you just said that. But you know, when you're relaxed, you're confident. When you're confident, you're better. And at the base, of all of that is, is, um, is humor. It can be, it can be the weapon. And obviously I'm in your life personally, professionally, professionally, athletically, um, it's been a huge weapon. So one for one in what, which, and where. So let's go to another one. Uh, I'm thinking you're just going to, you're just going to dot this as well. Contractor. No, I will not bow to any sponsor. Maybe I'm wrong on this one, but for me, being the best does not include selling out. Well, I, is that Ted Lasso? Not Ted Lasso. We're gonna, we're gonna you gotta rewind the clock. This is about 30 years ago. Oh, 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 I like that. Hmm. Contract or no contract? Contract or no, I will not bow to any sponsor. Maybe I'm wrong in this one, but for me, being the best doesn't include selling out. 
Okay, I feel like I have to have seen this movie. Obviously. Oh, you did. You have. According to the book, you like have. Finishers? Wait, no. It's in the book? It's in the book. It's, it's, oh, I mean, is I'm it really, World? yes, I'm, yeah, it's Wayne's World. I'm really digging from the movie itself. Okay, um, so I, um, it's funny you bring that up because my father in law and my Christmas card had a weird quote in there. And I'm like, this is Wayne's World. And it was a really weird one from the movie. And for some reason, I just remembered that exact moment where I was like, oh, yeah, that's Wayne's World. And it, it was so funny that we did that. But see, I thought you were going to go like a sneaky Ted Lasso route because everybody in the world seen it. And I'm like the only person that doesn't have HBO. I haven't I seen Ted Lasso. Okay, I, so I have not seen it. Then it's only me and you because everybody's like, you're a coach. You haven't seen it. I'm like, I'm sorry. I want to. I just don't have the streaming service. <laughs> Stream service or at the time at this point, I mean, you're, you're listening to your podcast, you're, you're doing interviews, you're doing uh, appearances, and then, uh, you're writing another book, doing a lot of coaching and consulting, and, and you're uh, a okay, wife so and I, wife I and get mother. like a half a point. <laughs> half a point. So uh, uh, 1.5 out of 2. 1.5 mm-hmm. out of two. So, um, but I, I think you've you've made up for it in droves and being so transparent and telling your story. So, Trisha, we want to we want to thank you. Just at the bottom uh, of the of the interview here, Annabelle lived for 150 hours, six days. You wrote in your book when when wishes change that her story is still a work in progress. Explain. So when we had Annabelle, we were actually interviewed by our church and they did like a great story about her. And Cameron was four years old. And so, you know, when he was asked about it, it was very black and white. His sister's in heaven. Her heart had to be healed, you know. Well, now he's 10 and he still tells everybody he has two sisters. Uh, He's very in tune, you know, to kids with special needs and um, just very considerate. Like he's very in tune to my emotions and protecting me. And I think that comes from that time in his life. And, um, so our church did like another kind of a story, like a, where are they now, you know, seven years later and the same videographer did it. And I said, you know, Tanner, I want you to come back in 15 years and interview Cameron because he'll be 25. And I guarantee you this story of his sister and her dying and experiencing that situation and how we handled the situation will impact him. And so I really believe, um, I have a quote in the book that I think I posted on Instagram today that, you know, God turns hurt on its head. And even though this was a really painful situation, I believe that it will continue to impact for good. And I believe that through Cameron I believe that through Andy, I don't, I don't think I would have had Andy if Annabelle would have survived because you weren't going to have more than two children and she's a whole nother animal. I mean, that kid is going to rule the world someday. Um, and so I just think about how different life would be, you know, without that story as a part of who we are. And it wouldn't be as beautiful as it has turned out to be. And so, and I, and I think also like when you go through something really difficult, you hope that it can change you and others and that it can have purpose or else it just feels too painful. And so I hope that as my book is shared, that 
will bring inspiration to whatever situation someone might be going through for hope and um, and bring some joy despite seeing that there was a lot of pain. Yeah, it's so eloquent. I don't know if I can uh, I can uh, come off off of that, um, but I'll try. I'll try to do this. Um, and I think you you really really covered it. Just empty your pockets. Do you have um, any further advice and, and maybe advice about those who feel like they have hit rock bottom? Yeah, well, one thing for me personally, as like a very relational person, I had to find other people that had gone through the exact same situation or something close to it. So like my best friend couldn't relate exactly to me and we could talk about it, but it wasn't the same. And to me, I think it really helps to find someone and be really transparent and honest about your situation, about what you're feeling and going through that understands it completely. And so I found several Facebook groups. I mean, podcasts weren't really as big of a thing seven years ago. And so I just kind of searched, try so 18 or 21 or 13, any kind of, you know, mom support group. Um, I found a counselor who specifically focused on grieving parents, which was nice that it was more specialized and had like small groups with other parents that had lost children that she could put us together with. And it's very easy when you're very depressed or sad to just want to close the door and lock everybody out. But I think it's super therapeutic to talk about it and to share and to be open with others and to learn from other people's personal experiences of what they're going through. And so I think that's my best advice. And I've had my wishes change in many other ways um, in the last year. And that's what I continue to do is go find someone who gets it, who's been there just like I have, and tell me what you did to get out of the situation. I mean, we don't have to reinvent the wheel with grief or anything else, it's all been done. And so um, I just love hearing advice from other people. And, you know, nowadays with podcasts, I mean, you can learn so much. You can hear other people that relate to your exact situation. And I love that because it's so um, satisfying to hear like that you're not alone in whatever you're going through. Yeah, the benefits of being of, of being of being transparent and knowing that we we do not get anywhere alone. It's not easy, and you know that more than anyone. It's not easy, but if you're upfront and transparent with with people and know that you're you're not going to get anywhere alone, you're going to have to ask for help. Um, and you, and you did, and through that, you're helping countless uh, uh, people deal with their plights in in 2021. Uh, Trisha, we want to thank you for being on. Can you share your contact information? And then, you know, within the Dallas area, do you have any speaking engagements um, coming up? I do. Um, I'm actually, it's kind of cool. I spoke at a book club yesterday. There's another big book club that's featuring my book. Um, But I'm speaking in Dallas. I mean, not in Dallas, in Waco, actually at a big event in March. Um, which is cool because I went to school at Baylor. And so I get to go. Baylor Bears. I love it. Um, But my website, whenwisheschange.com is not only a link to buy the book, but also some of those behind the scene videos of like the state championship game and some other short videos about our story. It was made into a documentary. So the documentary is there. And then also on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, I'm at whenwisheschange. And 
you know, my goal in that is more to offer inspiration and encouragement um, because getting through each day is hard. And so if you're going to randomly scroll on social media, it's better if you're scrolling and finding more encouragement than defeating yourself and feeling more insignificant than you started, you know, when you got on. So um, my book's on Amazon and anywhere else you can purchase books. And again, the book is When Wishes Change by Trisha Roos, R-R-O-S. Um, and I read it immediately once I knew about it and I recommend it um, to anyone. And your, 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 your Instagram, it's, it's, it's real, number one. Everything is real. And it's a, it's a great pick-me-up um, for anyone looking for a pick-me-up. Trisha, thank you again for your time and your space today. Thanks for having me. This will wrap up episode 66 of the What's Your Inspiration podcast. Trisha and I will talk to you later. Take good care. You have been listening to the What's Your Inspiration podcast with Fox Buyer. Because impact on each other is the greatest currency you could ever have.